So today we want to, I want to continue our conversations of heaven. And heaven is an awesome, awesome topic. And uh, we're going to be getting into, in the next week or two, uh, Revelations chapter 21 and 22. But today we're going to talk about church is heaven's model on earth. Larry, if you throw my slides up, please. Um, specifically, God has a plan for the church. And we want to talk about that today. Last week we talked about heaven's perspective on earth. And that really focused on the significance of what happens on heaven. What happens in heaven always begins on earth. And we talked about who's in heaven last week. We talked about what that person is doing in heaven. We talked about the rewards of heaven. And we understood that everything that happens and heaven is a direct result of what has happened previously on earth. Basically, nothing happens in heaven until something happens on earth. Now, understand that I'm saying this from our perspective. God is in heaven, and God is always active in heaven, right? So God's not depending upon earth, but we are. Our heavenly presence in heaven, when we get there, if we get there, all depends on what happened on earth for us, right? So we have to keep that in proper perspective. And so today I want to talk basically what heaven's reaction is to the local church. How does the church impact heaven? And why is the church so important to heaven? Now, let me just stop real for a quick second here, because I know that as soon as we talk about church... I know that this tends to bring people's um, antennas up a little bit because church can be a real sensitive subject. People get defensive when we start talking about church because um, it seems to be that we anticipate a preacher getting out of soapbox that is talking about how important it is for people to come to church, basically for the pastor, and for what he needs for people to come out of church. Um, and for that reason, I think many people reject the notion that church is really important. They seem to think that it's an optional thing, that it's more about people telling them they have to go to church. Therefore, as soon as you start talking about having to go to church, you reject it. You, you put your defenses up a little bit. So today what I want to do is that I, I want to lay out the case here that church is really important and it's important from the perspective that um, people need to come to church. But yet coming to church doesn't save a person. But yet a person that's saved should come to church. And not from a, le- not from a legalistic perspective and not from a guilt-ridden perspective. I don't want to go there. I'm not trying to promote guilt. I'm not trying to promote anything that's man-driven from church. Rather, I really want to make the case that church is heaven's model on earth. Church is heaven's model on earth. So I hope that we can see that as we, we go through this. But first, we need to define really what is the church. Let's define this a little bit. The concept of church was not man's idea. The concept of church was the idea of Christ. It was Jesus' idea. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus is saying, And I tell you that you are Peter, one of the disciples, and on this rock, that rock is not Peter, the rock is, he's referring to himself as Jesus Christ, he says, On this rock, I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not overcome it. So the concept of church is not Peter's idea, not the disciples' idea. And Jesus wasn't creating the idea of church for the benefit of the disciples. He wasn't trying to give them a career. He wasn't trying to build them something that they could lord over. It wasn't about men at all. The church is about Christ. And we need to understand the proper perspective of church so we understand why it's important that we need to be a part of a local church. The next verse, chapter, verse 19 of Matthew 16, it says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's exactly what our prayer time is about. It's exactly why Pastor Rip comes and he spends the time asking for your needs, because when we pray, we're binding things on earth, when we're releasing things in heaven and vice versa. And so when we bring our needs to the Lord, we do that in a church setting. A church is a bunch of people, common belief people, and we combine our faith together and we pray and we ask for God to do what he would have done on earth as in heaven. It's a multiplication aspect. It's what we talked about at the beginning, which I didn't have my microphone on. But but um, it, it's it's the multiplying effort of heavenly perspective of earth. And Jesus does an amazing thing. He connects heaven and earth together. Because it's God's intention for the church to model the best of heaven to mankind now through the example of church, thereby to draw people to Christ. See, the most important uh, part of heaven is its residence and their relationship to God and to people. The most important aspect of heaven are its residents. Number one, God. Wherever God is, is defined as heaven. Number two is the residents of heaven, which are God's creation, his people that he loves so much that he wants to bring them where he's at. So therefore, he brings them into heaven, and the relationship between God and people is the key thing of heaven. It's the, re- it's the relationship. And God has designed the church, listen to this, God has designed the church to be a vehicle, not an end in itself, but to be a vehicle that moved people from earth to heaven, where he is at. So therefore, the church on earth is modeled after heavenly concepts. I don't think we think about church that way. I don't think we give church the credit that is, that God wants it to have. Because as we live in a functioning church, we are actually modeling what's happening in heaven today. It's the intention for people to be drawn to God himself through a properly healthy functioning church. So that people in the world can look inside our body of believers and see love extended. That it's this love within the people that attracts people in the world to the church. Kind of like a bug zapper (laughs) attracts moths. (laughs) Kind of like a light. You go out on a summer night and you turn your, your light on and before long, what happens? Your porch is filled with bugs. It's filled with mosquitoes and moths and all kinds of things that are attracted to the light. Well, that's what church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to attract the moths of the world. 
It's supposed to attract people to come to it because there's an attraction that should be at a functioning, a healthy, functioning church. And so many times our churches aren't healthy. And so many times our churches are dysfunctional. I understand that. Because of God's intention, it's no wonder then that we can understand why the enemy, who is the enemy? Satan, is so strongly opposed to a healthy church. There's no wonder that Satan will do everything he can to destroy church. He'll do everything he can to create hypocrites in church. He'll do everything he can to distort what church is about because the enemy knows that this is God's way of bringing people to himself, is through the local church. Can you see that happening in the world around us? Can you maybe maybe experience it? Can you maybe go back to some of your experiences about church prior to today? And maybe if you're watching online, maybe you're not in church today because you've been hurt by the church. We're going to talk more about that a little bit later. But before we get to that, what makes the church different the way that God intends it to be? What is supposed to be different about the church? The Greek word that is commonly used to describe the church is ecclesia. And it means called out, to be separate. And it's important that the church understands how this is used and what it means. So by definition, if the church wants to make a difference in the world, listen, if the church wants to make a difference in the world, then the church must be different from the world. Right? If it wants to make a difference, it must be different. Jesus used the example of the Christians that we are at the salt of the earth, right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt must be different than the food that it's seasoning. If salt is the same as the food, then the salt has no impact on the food, right? Salt has a seasoning property about it that when you put it on the food, it seasons it, it makes it taste better, and it preserves it. If you were in a salty, if you were going to try to preserve food, you could preserve it with salt. But if it didn't, if it wasn't salty, it would be worthless. Well, in the same way, if the church was like the world, then it wouldn't stand out from the world. Thus, it wouldn't be able to change the world. Something broken cannot change something else that's broken, right? We have to be able to recognize that God has a purpose for the church to change the world. And that means we can't be like the world. Maybe you don't like to think of it that way. Maybe you don't like to understand that you are intended to be different from the world that you live in. If you're going to be a change agent, if you're going to be effective Being a change agent, then you cannot be like the people in the world that you work with. You have to be different. And you can't be ashamed about that. That's why the church is called out to be separate from sin in the world. First Peter, first chapter one, verses 13 through 16 in the Living Bible, Peter says it this way, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. 
So you must live, listen, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. So do you see the call that God is placing on his people? He's calling us out to be separate, to be set above the world's influences of sin. Because if I'm compromising my life, if I'm claiming to be a Christian, if I'm claiming to be a disciple of Christ, not just a follower that Pastor Rip spoke about so well a few weeks ago, but if I'm really a disciple of Christ, then it's my responsibility to be set apart from the world. Not to compromise with it, not to be one of the buddies of the worldly system, because if I'm one of those buddies of the worldly system, I'm not different. Therefore, I can't change anything. The church is to embrace fellowship with other believers. Right? We're to embrace fellowship with other believers. We're to come together as a body of Christ and to embrace fellowship. Acts chapter 2, 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We do a lot over eating, don't we? It's amazing how we relate to people around a coffee cup or around a breakfast table or around a dinner. That's part of the pro- that's part of the responsibility we have as a church. The church is also to be a light unto the world. Matthew 5:14, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. We're to be a shining example of God's love. This is God's plan, and he graciously calls everyone that wants to be included in the church to be willing, here, to be willing to set themselves apart from the worldly system of evil. If you want to be part of the church, you have to exercise your choice to be willing to be set apart and not to combine ourselves with the evil influences around us. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 17, it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? It says, For we are the temple of the living God. You are the temple of the living God. That's part of being the church. You're a temple of the living God. And as God said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, separate yourself. Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no one clean thing and I will receive you. So do you see the call that we have to be separate from the world? That's We're defining the church now. This is what the church is supposed to be. So how does this relate to the church? How does a church relate to heaven? It's interesting that we have, as we've been describing the church, we've been not talking about a building. We're not talking about coming to a building. Rather, we're talking about the church people, the people that make up the church. Just as the residents of heaven are the most vital aspects, it's the people, it's the residents in the church 
that make up the vital aspect of the church. It's not this nice building. And thank God, I thank God for nice buildings. But this is not the church. This is just a building that the church meets in, right? Do we get that? Do we understand that? It's just the building that the church meets in. I am thankful for it. Last week we talked about heaven's economy beginning on earth. That's exactly what I'm talking about this morning. It's the efforts of the called out ones. It's the efforts of the church on earth that will bring the harvest that will last for eternity. What happens in the church is what builds heaven. But yet, something that's very interesting, that when we get to heaven, there will be no church. There will be no need for church in heaven when we finally get there. Revelations twenty one twenty two. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord all God, God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You see, because there we will not have to be set apart. There we will not be called out, because we will all already be together in unity. We don't need to be set apart. There's no reason to be to have a church or a church building in heaven, because we're, then we're already in common unity. We're all believers at that point. But until we get there, the church on earth holds an extremely significant position of responsibility. And this is what I want to talk about a little bit. That it provides a tangible meeting place for God and his people. It is the primary means of sharing the reality of God's love. And it is a place of teaching and discipling people. And finally, it's the earthly institution that significantly models heaven. We really need to just make sure we understand what's happening here. We have we, we we don't let our defenses come up here because we need to understand that the church is up against an enemy. What is the church up against? Well, many people are confused about church today and the need to attend church on a regular basis. They they see church attendance as being an active member as an optional thing that's really not necessary. It might fit some people, but it might not be good for them. And they're convinced that a living a life of obedience to God is something that they can do separately and not as part of a church body. All right, let me pause here for a minute because I, I, I don't want to get lost in the weeds. I know that there have been people that have tried church and have given up on it. Then they're done that, got that t-shirt. I've been hurt. There's too many hypocrites in the church. I understand that. Let me just say that church is not perfect. Even though that it's intended to model heavenly things, the church, because it's made up of people today, it's not perfect. We make mistakes. And there have been many legitimate hurts and offenses taken by people in the church. I get it. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that you haven't been hurt by a church because you probably have been at some point in time. But just like sin, isn't God's problem. A bad church experience as well isn't God's problem. We don't have any excuses. Both the the global church and the local church are Jesus' idea. And he wants his followers to believe in the church and to participate in the things that are his ideas, right? I mean, if Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, he is expecting people to come alongside and be part of what he's building. 
God wants his people to be part of a local church in order to be part of the global church, no matter what your past experiences have been. There really is not a legitimate excuse that one could come up with why a true follower of Christ doesn't participate in a local church. And I know I'm getting pretty heavy here, I'm getting pretty churchy here, but I have to make sure that we understand the point that many will have excuses about why church isn't important, why regular church attending isn't important. But I'm asking you to fast forward a little bit. Think about when you're going to stand before Christ and you're going to have to give reasons as to why you chose not to be part of a local church. Do you think you can come up with a good enough reason that God will say, yep, you were right. You didn't need to be part of church. Do you think you'll have a good reason? I know I'm on a soapbox a little bit here, but I'm, but I'm on the soapbox not because I'm trying to build a bigger church. I want you to understand that. It's not about me trying to get people into pews. Because if I was doing that, I wouldn't be saying this. <laughs> if I was doing that, I would be saying something a lot easier that people, that people would agree with and just come in because they like to feel good. Uh, so it's not about me. It's really about you. And it's about what's good for you. Whether you're sitting here or you're watching online and you're not in church, you need to understand that the appeal that's being made here is for your benefit. You know, there's an old saying that two wrongs never make a right. Maybe you were legitimately hurt by a pastor. Maybe you were legitimately hurt by a Sunday school teacher or a worship leader or a hypocrite in a church. Maybe you were. But your continuing choice to not find church to be important does not make it right. Two wrongs never make a right. My dad would tell me that all the time when he was disciplining me, and I used to hate it because he was absolutely right. (laughs) You can't be hurt one way and then continue in a hurt to another way. I mean, the old saying is hurting people hurt people, right? So if we don't want to be the people that hurt people, we need to make a change. All right, so let me get off that soapbox. I hope I didn't offend anybody, but if I did, I'm sorry. Let me go on. Jesus is the head of the church. All right, now we need to get on back to our topic. Jesus is the head of the church. If we truly understand the eternal nature of Christ, we must be attached to Jesus because it's impossible for a part of the body that's not attached to the head to survive. My my arms, my limbs are attached to my body, which is attached to my head. If I cut my hand off, it's no longer attached to my body, which means it's no longer attached to the head. My mind, my, the head might live, but my hand won't. My hand will be will soon die and be discarded. John chapter 15 is a great chapter to go back and read. John chapter 15, it talks about how we are to remain in Christ. Remain in Christ as a, as a vine, as a, as remains into the branch, how everything has to sustain that way. John chapter 15 verse 4, remain in me, Jesus says, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. 
it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And that entire chapter stresses the vital importance and the significance of a tree and its branches have to be connected in order for the outermost parts of that tree, the outermost parts, the limbs and, 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 and leaves and, and fruit to be bear, to, to bear fruit if it's going to survive. We all know the gardener comes along and if he sees an unhealthy branch or a branch that's not, branch that's not surviving, he cuts the branch off. And what does he do to the branch? He burns it. It's destroyed. And that's what Jesus is trying to talk about, how, how we are supposed to remain in Christ. This is the description how we as Christians are to remain connected to Jesus being the head of the church. Does this make sense? Are, are you tracking with me here at all, or have I lost anybody? <laughs> and what I'm saying by this, too, is that, that, is that it's not enough just to come to church on a Sunday and then be a Christian. You, you still need to have your personal prayer time. You still need to have your personal devotion time. You still need to take responsibility for your own um, feeding yourself. You don't eat just once a week physically. No, you eat multiple times a day physically. That means you eat many, many more times in, in the week. So you need to come and take responsibility. So there's a combination of, of being both committed to the local church as well as feeding yourself on a daily basis if you're going to be a healthy Christian person. Make sense? The writer of Hebrews is very good about this. And, and I love what he says about how we are to, um, as we get closer to the end, how we are to remain in the body. And even so, even more so as we get closer. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Verse 24, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of return is drawing near. What's, what's he saying here? What's the writer saying? Is that the closer we get to the end of time, the harder it is going to be to be a Christian. The closer we get to the return of Christ, the more opposition that we're going to face in our own personal faith. So the best way to support yourself is to come together as a body of believers and support each other. And even more so as the day approaches. We're to, we're, we as a, as a body are to set apart ourselves and support each other in this area of, of need. As I said before, I'm reading a book by author Tim Sheets, and, and the, the name of the book is Heaven Made, Re- Made, Heaven Made Real. And he says this in his book. I, I really like this quote. He says, doing what I've just described, he says, this means that if we really believe that Jesus is coming back soon, we should be trying to assemble together more, not less. When we do so, we model to the world that we really believe that heaven is a real place, that it's really worth moving toward in our daily life choices, that it's worth far more than the latest network movie or the shopping mall or the golf course or the deer blind. 
You see, because of the fact that church models heaven, we can be sure that there will be much opposition to keep people out of the church. We're up against a lot of battle here. But I think when we realize that our worst battle is ourself. One of the worst enemies is our own sense of self-sufficiency. Now, if I haven't been stepping on toes already, I'm going to. And again, don't think I'm mad at anybody. I'm not. I'm just trying to to preach the truth of God's word. And so this is what... This is what Jesus says. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, chapter three, chapter 2 and 3, he wrote seven letters to the churches. That's how Revelation begins. And this particular letter is written to the church in Laodicea. And uh, Jesus says some pretty hard things to this church in Laodicea. Beginning at verse 15 of Revelation 3, Jesus says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This church that Jesus is describing here is a group of believers that consider themselves to be very mature in Christ. That they have no need of anything. They say things like, well, we don't need to go to church because we can study on our own. We know what we want. We pray at home or in the woods. My church is my boat. My church is my hunting blind. My church is the golf course. We can handle life. We've got this. See, this is this is what Jesus is describing here, this self-sufficiency. And this is the attitude that says, we've got life all figured out. We have everything we need, and we're really busy with life. I mean, come on, the weekends are my only time. I work so hard during the week that if I don't get to sleep in on Saturday and Sunday, I just don't have enough energy for Monday. And frankly, the church just takes too much time. I don't need it. But God sees things a little differently. At least he did for the church in Laodicea. And let me just also say this, that when we look at the churches, if you go back and look at how all the seven churches line up, they line up with the church age. And being that the Laodicean is the last church, we are the last church before up in the church age before the coming of Christ. So really, Jesus isn't just describing the church then. He's describing the age of which we live today. This is the overall mentality of the world that we're living in today, that we don't need church. We don't need it anymore. But then he goes on to talk to the Laodiceans this way, and also to us this way. In verse 18 of Revelation 3, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Hmm. That's hard words, isn't it, guys? 
It's speaking directly to me, and hopefully it's speaking to you, and it's speaking to you that are listening online. But here's something that, in verse 22, that is very important, yet I think it's often overlooked. Because all the warnings and all the encouragements given to all the seven churches in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, they end this way. God, Jesus, is not giving the encouragements nor the warnings to individuals. Listen, he's giving it to the church. Revelations 3.22, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's speaking to the churches. He's not speaking to individuals. When God has something to say, he tells it to the church through the churches, through leadership and through the churches, He did it then, and he's still doing it today. The local church is something to be valued and appreciated as a place of healing, fellowship, worship, teaching, overall safety. That's what we're supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to offer to people. The reason that it's dangerous to be outside of a local church body is because the enemy always targets people on the fringes. Think about it. You know, when a, we're not sheep herders, but if we were, it's the sheep on the outside of the flock that are the ones the most dangerous. The sheep on the middle, on the inside, closer to the shepherd, are much safer from the wolf than the, than the sheep that are on the exterior, or not even just on the exterior, but even the ones that have strayed away from the flock. And I think you probably can think of people maybe in your own life, the ones that are most easily swayed to go off in the weeds someplace are people that are not associated with local church. The ones that are out there doing their own thing. They have their own philosophy of life. They, they read the Bible to their, to their liking and they cherry pick the verses they want to cherry pick and they, they ignore the ones they don't like because it doesn't fit into their lifestyle and, and there's nobody there to bring them under accountability and it's not long and, and those people are off in the fringe with some type of a weird teaching. And all of a sudden, they're off in the weeds. And it's not just the people, but I'm also speaking. Boy, I'm really getting myself into trouble here. I'm awful speaking to independent churches. And I'm not saying that denominations keep us all straight. But there is an issue of accountability. There's an issue of submission that we all need to come under. I need to come under submission to a higher authority above me. And that's what my denomination does. Now, the Assemblies of God isn't perfect in its ways. I understand that. But at least it holds me accountable. It holds me that I have teachings that I have to be accountable to, and I have leaders that I need to be accountable to, and it protects you because I'm submitting to them. And how easy it is for independent churches or non-denominational churches to get off in the weeds someplace because nobody's holding the pastor accountable. You know, here's a good example. Rob Bell. And I'll name him. He used to be a Bible-believing church, Mars Hill. But Rob Hill got off in this thing, Rob, Rob Bell got off in this thing about love wins. And all of a sudden, he took a principle of God, which is true, God loves, and he's very gracious in his love, but he took it to the so extreme that God doesn't judge sin anymore because God loves everybody so much that everybody's going to go to heaven. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? And that probably will build a big church. 
Because that's what people want to hear. Live the way you want to live, but love because love wins. Well, see, if Rob Bell would have kept himself under submission to church leadership, they would have said, wait, 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 Rob, you're getting a little too off here. You need to come back to here because, yes, love is powerful, but God's cho- God gives mankind choices to choose Jesus to ask for forgiveness for our sins. And that's just a simple example, but there's many, many other cults, if you will, that got off in the weeds because they didn't stay submitted to a leadership model. So what I really want to emphasize this morning of what being what it means to be part of a local church as we're journeying through our life. This is a temporary life. None of us are going to be here forever. <laughs> if we live long enough, you're going to die. Can I just tell you that? Just in case you didn't know that already. But it's this journeying through life that's so important. And I want to look briefly at what the church model on earth should look like from heaven's perspective. Right? So let me just go through a few. In heaven, there is the glorious presence of God and an ever-expanding knowledge of who he is and what he's created. In the church, this also should be experienced and felt when we meet together. We should be learning of God's grace and his mercy and his ever-increasing knowledge of him and, and, and the relationship we should have with him. That's what we do when we come to church. In heaven, there is a loving worship to the Lord. There is singing and praise and music. We've all seen the scriptures where the angels are worshiping and, and what's happening around the, the, the throne room. The twelve elders are, are casting their crowns before the Lord and they're holy, 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 and there's a constant theme of worship in heaven. Likewise, in the church... There should be the same activities of worship happening in the church. And that's what we do. Once we come together, we have worship, we praise, we honor God. In heaven, there is service to the Lord as we will be reigning with him. That's what the Bible says, that we will reign with Christ, especially in the, in the, in the uh, thousand-year millennial period. We will be reigning with Christ. And then throughout all eternity, we will have rewards. Rewards will be based on our authority. Based upon what we did on earth, we'll be given more authority in heaven to help God rule the, rule the eternal ages. So we'll be, we'll be ruling with Christ. We'll be serving the Lord in heaven, and it'll be our joy. That's where we get our pleasure in our serving the Lord. Well, in church today, committed church members should be serving God through their spiritual gifts. And that's what we're talking about on Wednesday nights. We're talking about this, the motivational gifts. We should be at joy serving each other on earth in church as we're modeling heaven. And we should be using this as a, a we should be so grat- uh, so much grat- um, gratitude in our hearts that it's just our joy to worship together and to serve each other. In heaven, there is structure and there's government. There's no chaos in heaven. God rules from his throne. He's got 24 elders around him. He's got a whole delegated system of authority in heaven. Well, in church, there's also a structured outline of authority through the spiritual gifts of ministry 
the fivefold ministry, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, right? There's a, there's God's got this organizational issue. He's got elders and deacons. And all these have delegated authority to help guide and manage the church, just like God manages heaven. In heaven, there will be eternal, meaningful relationships with God, people, and even angels. Well, in church, there is to be these meaningful relationships as they're beginning to be developed. The more time we spend in church, the more time we spend with godly people, the more time we spend working together, building the church, the more intentional, the more meaningful our relationships get with each other. You know when you have break bed with somebody or you go work with somebody or you spend time with somebody, your hearts come together, you meld together tighter. And that's what we should be doing in the church, modeling what's going to be happening in heaven. Heaven, in heaven, God's word is the law. Think about that. In heaven, God's word is the law. In church, God's word is the law. Nothing else needs to be said. It's not God's law and something else. It is God's law that we are living under as we are journeying together in this life. In heaven, we accept and love everyone for who they are, regardless of race, culture, or nationality. There's going to be no, no sense of discrimination in heaven at all. And in the church today, we are as well expected to accept everyone and love everyone totally independent of what they look like. Totally independent about the color of their skin or their race or nationality. We're to accept and love everyone in that regard. There's no distinction of persons. No sense of discrimination. And we could go on listing a number of other things. But just for time's sake, I'm going to stop there. But let me finish with this one. In heaven, your destiny is fulfilled. Think about it. In heaven, your destiny is fulfilled. You achieve the totality of what you were created for. In the church, the journey to your destiny has started. It begins here. It's nurtured here. It's protected here. It's built up here. You are created as a new person in Christ as you accept Jesus as your Savior. That's day one of salvation. And then you continue to live it out together, building each other up learning how to listen to God's still, small voice, learning how to discern how you walk through the open doors of God's opportunities, and and also learning how to see when God shuts a door. This is a process that begins now and will continue to guide you throughout eternity. So clearly, being part of an active church is God's plan for you. It's not the pastor's plan. I just have to emphasize that. It's God's plan for you. Jackie, would you come, please? I challenge you to go to anywhere in Scripture and show me a place where the Scripture says it's better to be separate than be together. If you want to base your life on obedience to God, then I challenge you to go find a Scripture that says I'm wrong that says this teaching is wrong, that no, God wants you to be independent of each other. You see, really, really, we are called to be a part of God's army. 
We are part of the army. There's a Sunday school song. I, you know, remember the song we used to sing about the uh, being in the army? I wish I could remember it right now. But, uh, there you go. Sing it, Jack. I'm in the Lord's army. I got it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But being a part of an army says this, that you are part of a group of people that are gathered together with all the resources that army has to fight a common enemy. A single soldier will lose. A single soldier going up against an enemy's army will lose. There is no such thing as a single soldier going to defeat the enemy. We defeat the enemy when we come together as an army and we defeat the enemy together. So as a banded army, we can journey through this world that we're in. We can defeat the enemy. We can defeat the culture around us when we come together as a unified set of believers. so important that we model ourselves after heaven. If God has this model in place, who are we to break it? Who are we to say, no, God, I've got a better plan? If God's plan is to bring the church together in a unified set of believers, then who am I to say, I have a better idea? Can I just encourage you with this? Listen, if we do this right, as we're gathering together and as we're journeying through this life together can i just tell you that the best is yet to come the best is yet to come i love that part of it first corinthians 2 9 it says no eye has seen no ear has heard and no mind has imagined what god has prepared for those who love him heaven is going to be so absolutely amazing that everything on earth the good and the bad is just going to flow and just vanish and we're just going to be amazed at God's goodness think of it this way if it took God six days to create the earth and he's been spending 2,000 years creating your mansion how glorious is it going to be he spent 2,000 years building heaven for you and I to enjoy how amazingly good is it going to be So let's do our part today. Let's model heaven on earth. Let's be the church that God wants us to be. And let's do the things here. Let's let's agree to put our differences aside when it comes to our philosophies and our stubbornness, because sometimes that's what it is. Let's put it aside and let's come together as a body of believers and let's be obedient following Christ and the model that he's created to be the church on earth that would model heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this this teaching, this encouragement to us. And Lord, I know that, you know, I've said some things that are confrontational. I know I've said some things here that people just say, nope, that's not for me. I've been there, done that. But God, I pray. I pray, I pray, I pray against the enemy. I pray against that deceptive spirit of the enemy that would say we don't need it. That we can do it our own way. God, forgive us for that. Help us. Bring us together. Help us to be that functioning body that is attractive to you and to the world. That we would be that bright light set on a hill. I pray, God, that that's our heart. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe you gave sight to the blind. I believe that the dead came to life.
I know that there are some situations where people just can't get out to church. So I don't want to put a legalistic approach on this. I know there are legitimate reasons. Sometimes people just can't make every church Sunday, and I get that. But can I just encourage you that if it comes down to a choice, that I encourage you to make the right choice. There are times I know that you're sick, you're, you're traveling, or you're incapacitated, or whatever. I get that, and I, I don't want to put that burden on you. I'm not putting up guilt on you. I'm just trying to get us to understand what God's saying to the church today. We need to be an active, vibrant body of believers that come together and support each other. And so when it's just a choice for you to be or not be, I pray you make the right choice. Amen? Does it make sense? Can we still be friends? Father, I thank you for this evening, this day. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing for us. I thank you for the way you're calling us. And I pray, Lord, that you would just give us a renewed passion for the things of heaven, beginning in the church, that you would renew us and generate a spark of interest in us that would give us a, a desire. I pray against the enemy, the deception the enemy would bring we know how he would stop to try to stop all this because if he can stop Earth's church, he can impact the heavens' economy, and we know that that's his desire. But we stand against it today. We lock arms and stand against it, and we just come to you and we ask you. We ask for your power and your authority, and we submit to you, and we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. <laughs>